Thank you, Amy. I appreciate that song. We're, we're talking about trust without borders, and, and uh, we've been in this series now for, I guess, this will be the sixth week, and just been dealing with, with trust and, and how we can trust God more and trust in really in all relationships. And trust is a relational word, and uh, we, we, we need to learn to trust each other. We need to learn to trust God more. And, and, and so this week, I, I thought, well, I'll look, at, I'll look at a definition for trust, and I've got this big honking dictionary in my, in my office. It's one of those books. Anybody have any books in their library that's purely for show? Uh, this is a show book. I've, I, I've not read. It's like 1,500 pages. It weighs like 12 pounds or something like this. It's got three columns of tiny font dictionary. It's an unabridged, so it's, I guess, a dictionary of every word in the English language. Uh, and so if anybody wants to borrow it, I'll give it to you. You can take it home and get it out of my office. But So I looked in this book at Trust, and it had like three columns of definitions of the word trust. And I thought, that is too many definitions for trust. And so I turned to Old Faithful, dictionary.com. Uh, you know, leave it to the internet uh, to, to give you an easier definition of trust. And on dictionary.com, it said, trust is a person or thing on whom one relies. And, and, and I like that definition because it makes trust... Trust is relational, and, and trust is a relationship word. This is the essence of trust, is, is placing your, your faith, uh, relying on someone else or, or something else. And in this case, you know, we're, we're in church, we're talking about relying on God, that, that God is worthy of our trust, that we can have a relationship with God that allows us to rely on Him. And we've been dealing with the issue of trust with this simple statement, love is the basis of trust. Uh, the, the ideal, uh, th think of your interpersonal relationships, the ability to trust a spouse or, or someone else in your life it is based on the understanding that that person loves you, truly, really loves you and, and they want the best for you and so you can rely on them. You can trust them because of their love for you. And so we can trust God because we believe God really loves us and, and you know we're, we're singing about the blood. The blood talks about how much God loves us so we can trust God. And we've been dealing with the limits that we typically have when we we deal with trust issues. The, the ideal that we have to have uh, all the information that, that we need perfect clarity before we can trust God with a decision. And, and, and God calls us to move beyond clarity because love, not clarity, is the basis of trust. We, we've talked about self-esteem issues, how we view ourselves. And we looked at Gideon. Uh, our our self-esteem can prevent us from trusting anyone. If we don't, don't believe that we're worthy of love, then it's very difficult to believe that someone loves us enough to, to want the best for us. And, and that, rely, that a lot, uh, applies to our personal, interpersonal relationships, and it applies to our relationship with God. If we do not believe that we are worthy of being saved, then it's very difficult to believe that God would send his son to die in our place. And, and, and in myself, I don't believe I'm worthy, but God says I'm worthy, so I believe his word. And then we've talked about how trust can be limited by what other people say about us or how other people treat us. And we used David last week and David and Goliath. But the next two weeks, we're going to talk about pain. Now, now when I use the word pain, uh, I'm using the word pain in a very 
broad way. Uh, when, when I think of pain, I, I think of just adversity. I, I think when I, when I think of pain, I think of just general suffering, just, just the pain of life. I, when I think of pain, I think of emotional and physical pain, just kind of the struggle that we go through in life. And I want us to see pain differently in relation to trust because, see, I believe pain can move us towards greater trust when we see pain in the right way. Now, now pain covers a great spectrum in our life. On one end of the spectrum, there is the normal pain that's part of doing anything worthwhile. If you want to, to um, be a medical doctor, you have to go through college and then med school and then through your internship and do all those things that are necessary to become a medical doctor. It's hard work, there's adversity, there's pain, but you see it's worthwhile. If you want to run a marathon, then, then, then you have to do the training. You have to get up early in the morning. And Whitney, you're going through this. Where's Whitney? I saw her somewhere. You're running 12 miles. There's a lot of pain, but it's worthwhile. And even though you have pain and adversity and struggle, you realize at the other end of that, there is something that's worthwhile. And on the spectrum, you have the, the, the pain that... That, that just the normal struggle of life. Maybe it's not something that you're planning, it's not some great plan, but, but life sometimes is just painful and a struggle. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And we all said, duh, yeah. Uh, you know, trouble's all around us. And sometimes life is just hard. It's, it's not excruciating, but, but sometimes it's just hard. Then, then you have the pain that's the result of just decisions that you've made. You were out last night too late and you had to get up and come to church and now you're dealing with the pain of listening to a preacher talk when you're sleepy, okay? That kind of pain. You spend too much money and so your finances create pain. You're not careful in a relationship and so there's conflict in the relationship. Then there's Sin, you know, sometimes it's our sin. We, we sin and there's a, a break. We, we sin and there's a major conflict. We sin and, and there's repercussions in our life. And never, never make this mistake. You reap what you sow. There, there's, there's a result of every action that we take. And when we sin, there is repercussions in our life. There's a pain. Now, now sometimes... It's not what you've done, but it's what someone else has done. So, so, sometimes someone else has sinned, and you're paying the price. And, and you can identify the source of the pain. You can identify Rither's adversity. That's why we have to be careful, folks. Everything that we do, every failure that we have, every sin that we commit, doesn't just affect us, but it affects everyone we love and everyone that loves us. There's that kind of pain. And then there's the pain of conviction. When, when, when you've fallen short of God's plan for your life and the Spirit's dealing with you, there's a pain to that. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there's just pain. There's no reason for it. It's, it's not sin. It's not something that you can identify. You, you don't see anything worthwhile at the end. It's just pain and suffering. 
It's the death of a loved one. It's, it's an unexpected sickness. It's a downturn in the economy. It's nothing that you've done. And, and, and even sometimes in these circumstances, whereas with conviction you hear God's voice, sometimes in this profound pain that we suffer, you can't even hear God's voice. And you feel like you're all alone. See, see, pain covers a broad spectrum in our life, and some of it we see as worthy and worthwhile, and it brings meaning to life. And other times, we just say, why? See, see pain has been an issue for, for the, the philosophers and the theologians, and, 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 and they've talked about pain because everyone experiences pain. We, we try to understand pain, and why do I have pain, and why is there pain? And these are the questions of philosophers and theologians throughout the centuries. And as a matter of fact, probably the oldest book in the Bible, Job, deals with this issue of pain. Why is there pain in the world, God? And some philosophers have turned to atheism because of pain and, and not being able to resolve the conflict. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. And C.S. Lewis says this, If God were good, he would wish to make his creatures perfectly happy. And if God were almighty, he would be able to do what he wished. But the creatures are not happy, therefore God lacks either goodness or power or both. This is the problem of pain in its simplest form. In other words, if God is all good and he's all power, then shouldn't we be happy? Shouldn't pain not be part of our experience? And since there's pain, how do we balance this with God? So we struggle with the ideal and the ideal of Good people suffering and books like When Bad Things Happen to Good People become a bestseller because people struggle with this issue. And perhaps you've struggled with this issue of pain in your life and, and why the suffering. Philip Yancey wrote a book, uh, it's probably been 30 years ago now that he wrote his book, Where Is God When It Hurts? And, and Philip Yancey gives what I think is probably the best Christian explanation for pain. He says, much of the suffering on our planet has come about because of, the two, of two principles that God built into creation. A physical world that runs according to consistent natural laws and human freedom. In other words, God placed into place natural, um, natural processes and he gave us choice. And as a result, there's pain in our world. That's the reason. And, 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 and Yancey says even God doesn't like the pain that we see in this world. The, the undo. God, God doesn't like tsunamis and, and, and tornadoes ripping through schools and, and rampant disease and injustice. God's not pleased with that. And the whole story of Genesis to Rev, Revelation is God's story of redemption for the world. That there's coming a day when it will all be made right. And this undo suffering will be done and God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. As a matter of fact, the apostle Paul writes in Romans 8.22, he says, all of creation is groaning towards the day of redemption, groaning towards a day when everything will be made right. But pain's not always bad. 
Pain serves a purpose in our life. In his book, Yancey talks about Dr. Paul Brand and Dr. Paul Brand had, uh, had worked with lepers and, and, and with lepers what Dr. Brand found was that the problem was they were not experiencing pain. And because they were not experiencing pain, they, they did not experience the warning system that pain provided that, so, that, so they could use a mop and not have pain and not know that they had developed a blister and the blister had developed into a cut and an infection had, had set in and, and, and they'd lost digits and a hand and an arm simply because they didn't feel the pain and have the alert system in place that allowed them to know that there was injury. They would twist an ankle and just continue to walk and just make the ankle worse and worse and worse because they couldn't feel pain. So, so pain serves a purpose. And if, if you're suffering from chest pain or, or shortness of breath, it's a warning sign your body gives you that something is wrong. It's not just a physical thing, but think about it. What if the conflict that you were experiencing, what if you saw it as a warning sign that something was wrong in the relationship? And, and instead of, uh, of being mad, thought, step, took a step back and said, hey, this is like chest pain. This is conflict. Can I identify what's wrong? And the pain of conflict was a warning sign uh, that, that something needed to change in your relationship. See, pain can warn us and it, 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 can, it can let us know when there's issues that we need to deal with. We, we have the pain of conviction and that's God saying, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. There, there's more for you. You're headed in the wrong direction and you're headed for trouble. And God's conviction, the, the pain of the conviction is just a warning to set us right. It's not even just that, but do you realize the same nerve endings that alert us to pain are the same nerve endings that allow us to have pleasure? So if somebody would jab, I thought about doing this as an experience, an experiment and jabbing a pen in somebody's hand, and then, but, but nobody would volunteer. You know, if somebody jabs a pen in your hand, the same nerve endings that tell you there's pain is the same nerve endings that would tell you if they, they took a feather and put it across your hand and, you know, there's a tickling. So, so, so those same nerve endings, if, if to experience pain allows us to experience pleasure. You can't have one and not the other. It's the same, the same nervous system. But not only that, but, but there's something about the struggle and experiencing pain that makes pleasure even greater. We're going to be going to... Um, the Smoky Mountains and doing some hiking, me and several of the guys. And, and, and one of the places we're going to hike up to is Spence Field. And there's a shelter if you've ever been in the Smokies. And on the top of Spence Field, there's a blackberry field. Uh, we, we did this hike several years ago. And so you hike up the mountain. It's five or six miles. And, and it's quite an elevation. You're going to about 4,900 feet. And I think Cades Cove is 2,000 feet. So you've got about a 2,900 foot rise in about five miles and a lot of switchbacks and it can be hot and it can be hard. You're carrying a backpack and you're tired and you get up on the top of the field and it's full of blackberries. These are the greatest blackberries I've ever ate in my life. 
You know, we had heard that there was bear activity and they were eating the blackberries. We didn't care. We would have fought a bear for those blackberries. But life's like that. When we exert and there's pain and at the other end of pain, there's this pleasure as a result. The, the pleasure's even greater. So, so pain's not a mistake. It's not God's great mistake, but, but, but it, it serves a person, purpose. But Yancey writes this, We moderns have, cu- have cut ourselves off from the stream of human history, which has always accepted pain as an integral part of life. Until very recently, any balanced view of life had to account for pain as a normal, routine occurrence. In other words, pain was part of everyone's life, but now we medicate, we run from pain, we avoid it as if, as if to experience pain is to lose life. But somehow in our pain, many times that's where we learn to experience life. It can alert us to a need. It can, it can alert us to a need of course correction, our need for help, our, our need for God. It can, it can make us experience pleasure in a whole new way. So what if we saw pain in a different way? Now, C.S. Lewis in The Point of Pain says this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. In other words, it's through pain many times that God speaks the clearest. And it's through pain many times that that we can sense his presence all the more or seek his presence all the more. And so pain becomes a pathway to trust. So for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about pain. But I don't think this is a subject that warrants one week because of the spectrum of pain. There's pain you understand, and there's pain where God is clearly present and where you can reach out to him and he's right there. And we're going to talk about that this week and use Peter walking on the water or sinking in the water after he walked on the water a little bit. And then there's the pain that you don't understand. And at the other end of this pain, many times you find a shut door. How do you trust God in those circumstances? And when we talk about that next week, we'll be talking about Job. But, but this week we're going to talk about Peter, and, and you can find the story in Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And at the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You are certainly God's son. Now now there's a backstory to this this little incident. Jesus, 
uh, is ministering and John the Baptist has been placed in prison. Uh, immediately prior uh, to this, Jesus has fed uh, 5,000 men. It says 5,000 men plus women and children. So there's this great miracle of feeding. And, and immediately prior to that, John the Baptist had been beheaded. Now, now, John the Baptist was beloved by the people. The Jewish people loved John the Baptist. He, they, they were flocking to him. They were coming to him to be baptized by John. So, so John had this great grassroots appeal. And the Romans had executed him. They killed him. And you can only imagine the backlash of this killing, of this execution of John. And then we have Jesus in the wilderness, in, in the, in the um, plains, feeding the 5,000 men. So there's this great miracle. And so there's this great danger of the grassroots people uh, rebelling against the Romans, attempting to seize Jesus, make him their king, and create a political change because of what had happened with John and what Jesus was doing. And so you find Jesus, and in another translation, saying compelling his disciples to get in, in a boat and send them, get them by themselves, and not allow them to get caught up in all that's going around. And Jesus separates himself and, and goes by himself and prays and separates the disciples to kind of diffuse what can be, what could be a difficult circumstance or a circumstance that didn't fit into what God had intended for Jesus. So the disciples are going across the, 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 the Galilee Sea, and the Galilee Sea in our age is about... 13 miles long, and it's about 8 miles wide. And I've never been a sailor, and somebody can tell me if I'm incorrect, but it, but it looks like a boat of the size that they would have been in would, at good speed, would have been able to go 4 miles an hour when things were going well, and so a couple-hour passage when things were going well, but things weren't going well. You can only imagine that when Jesus began to send him across the lake, and, and I'm just assuming he wasn't sending him long, long ways, but the narrow part as he's sending him across, you would have to assume that he sent him across at an hour that would allow them time to get across the lake before it got dark so they're not selling at night, so they get up the next morning and start like they typically do. And so you, you can see from the story, because it's 3 a.m., and they're still not across the lake, and they're still struggling against the wind, that, that somehow this short trip became more than they bargained for. It became this all-night struggle. And yet they just kept struggling to try to get across the lake. And Jesus is observing this from where he is. Jesus is observing what's going on. As I thought of this story, and I, I think about my life and, and how my life seems to be at times, and, and I'm assuming probably your life as well, life sometimes is like that. It seems like we struggle and we struggle and we struggle and we work and we work and we work. And it's like, it's like we're working in quicksand. That the more we try, it seems like we don't get any further across the lake. You know, there's a relationship and it's marred and it's hurting and, and, and you're doing everything you can to make the relationship right. Maybe it's with a family member, maybe it's a kid or a grandkid or a spouse or a parent and you're doing everything you can to, to make the relationship right and, and you're doing everything you can think of, but it just feels like there's nothing happening. I want you to know that Jesus sees you where you are. You know, the disciples didn't know. The disciples were struggling. But the scripture says Jesus saw them right where they were. 
wherever you are, whatever you're struggling with, whatever the adversity, the pain, whatever you're struggling with today, Jesus sees you where you are. But he doesn't leave it there. The scripture says Jesus starts to walk across the water. Now, the other, the other gospels, this is in two other gospels, and the other gospels are a little bit different in their presentation. The other gospels, I believe it's John. John says Jesus was going to walk right by him. <laughs> I don't, you know, that's hard to balance. Maybe, maybe that's just what it felt like. You ever felt like Jesus was go, just going to walk right by? <laughs> I, I felt like that. I want you to know, whatever you're struggling with, Jesus meets you where you are. In, in the midst of your struggle, Jesus will come and he will meet you right where you are. I, I'm not saying it's always immediate and it's always easy and sometimes we struggle longer than we want to struggle before we sense his presence. But wherever you find yourself uh, today, I want you to know that Jesus sees and he's on his way. And, and there's going to come a day when you're going to sense his presence. And it may feel like he's just trying to pass by, but if you call out to him, he'll come. Jesus is on his way. And I, I think the most amazing thing, though, is Peter's reaction. <laughs> to me, it's just, it's just fascinating. And Mark and John don't record uh, Peter walking on the water, and I'm sure Peter got upset at Mark and John. Hey, why didn't you put it about the part where I was walking on the water? That's pretty cool too, but they didn't put it in their Gospels. Only Matthew did. Matthew must have been closer to Peter than Mark and John. But as he sees him, he says, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to, to come. So Jesus says, come on. <laughs> Start walking on the water. Folks, this is amazing. Anybody in here ever walk on water? Raise your hand. I have. It's called ice. Aha! Uh -huh. <laughs> Nobody's done this but Jesus and Peter. And, and it's an amazing thing. You know, Peter sometimes gets a bad rap as a hothead and impulsive, but Peter walked on water because he was impulsive enough to believe that God could let him. <laughs> I don't know, that kind of gives me chills to think about it. Maybe we, should be, maybe we should be people that are impulsive enough that believes that God can use us to do unbelievable things. So Peter gets out of the boat and he starts walking across the water and we know the story. Then he begins to see the waves and begins to hear the wind and begins to think, oh man, I'm walking on water. This Is it right? And he begins to sink and he reaches out and Jesus grabs his hand. And, and, and I think this is the point that we want to see today. Trust focus on, focuses on Jesus, not circumstances. You know, I, know, I know there's a lot of waves and a lot of wind, a lot of things going on around you, but, but trust puts its focus somewhere else than on the circumstances, and the focus is on Jesus. Whatever you're struggling through today, the, the, the key is, the, the point is, the point of trust is to, to get past focusing on all of the circumstances, but to begin focusing on Jesus. You know, the, the point's not even to try to determine why the pain is or what the source is. The, the, the right question is not why, but what. How do I respond in this circumstance so that I can see Jesus clearer? They tell us in, in preacher classes uh, that, you know, when you get done writing a sermon, you know, the, 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 you're, you're supposed to say, what if? Well, so what? <laughs> you know, so, okay, yeah, that sounds really good. Keep my eyes on Jesus. So, so what? <laughs> How do I keep my eyes on Jesus? Do I, do I get a little statue and put it in the dashboard of my car and see Jesus? Or can I get a picture or something? And 
you know, I, I think there's some practical ways that even when you don't see Jesus, if you practice this, he becomes clearer. We can intentionally focus ourselves in a way so we can take in some intentional actions to have focus. You know, if I'm driving in a storm, you know, and the rain's coming down, there's things that I do. You know, I, I turn the windshield wipers on, right? If you don't have automatic lights in your car, you turn the lights on. You know, if it's really coming down, you know, I'll turn the radio off, you know, so I can concentrate. If it's really coming down, I'll stop texting. <laughs> that was it. That was it. <laughs> you know, you're not putting makeup on and eating a sandwich. And, you know, you, you, you focus. And, and what if the circumstance you're going through what was, was not meant to harm you, but somehow God's saying, you know, I didn't cause this. I, you know, I'm not doing this to you. I'm not trying to punish you. But in this circumstance, can you just focus? And I think there's several ways that we can focus and increase our focus on Jesus. And I think the first thing is replace worry with prayer. All of us, and I know, we are so spiritual we never worry. I got to tell you, your pastor's not spiritual enough to never worry. I worry. There's times in my life, you know, I, I'm not compulsive, but I, I think God gives you children so you can learn what it means to worry. And then they become teenagers and you really start worrying. You know, when, when my boys aren't where they're supposed to be and they're supposed to be driving home and they first got their license, guess what? This dad worried. You know, when, when I was at Trenton, my middle son Dylan got his license. You know what I preached on that Sunday? Worry. I thought, God, that is, that is a fine thing to do to me this, this week. You know, Dylan's driving all over, and you're telling, I'm supposed to be telling people not to worry. You know, the fact is we do worry, and I think when we begin to worry, it is a signal, it is a sign, it is a, a, a time to think of doing something else, and maybe it's prayer. Maybe when you begin to worry, what if you just began to pray? And, and, and what if when you couldn't pray? Because if we were honest, there's times when we can't even pray. What if you were close enough to somebody that you could pick up a phone and call them and say, Hey, man, I'm struggling. Can you pray for me? We live in this awesome day of connection, of of Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and telephones and cell phones, and we're never out of contact with anyone. You know, I, I think we, it, sometimes it's a curse because, you know, there's so much frivolous stuff in that. But, but I just think God wants to redeem those opportunities and, and make us connect to one another even when we can't be right with each other. So replace worry with prayer. I, I think we need to intentionally gather with other believers. There, there is something about the adversity of life, and, and I guess, you know, maybe somebody has a better understanding. Why is it when things are going wrong, we want to isolate ourselves? Why is it that, that somehow we want to pull away from other folks? And, and, and I think it's the natural thing in most of us that somehow when, when things are going wrong, we want to be apart. But I think God wants us to be with other folks. 
That, that there's a power in community. There's a power in being with other believers. That's why Sunday school matters because you connect to other believers in Jesus Christ. You're connected just in worship, but, but this is less than you can be connected than in a Sunday school or a small group class because we can't do this on our own. We need each other. And so in the midst of these circumstances where everything's going haywire, our natural inclination is to get apart and get alone. And I know that's the case because I've been there. If I could just get alone. And, and then Jesus says things like, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be in their midst. And so if the ideal is to get into the presence of God and really experience the presence of God and really see Jesus, not circumstances, wouldn't it make sense that instead of getting by myself, I would get with one or two other people and just say, hey, can you pray for me or come to church or come to a Sunday school class or, or somehow just to see him? The third thing I have is spend more time in the Bible. <laughs> Oh, yeah, the typical pastor, he's telling us to read the Bible. The Bible is powerful. The the scripture is powerful. And and there's something about just reading the Bible that places us in the presence of God. Uh, In my life, sometimes my tendency is when things are going bad, I think, well, what I'll do is I'll watch something stupid on TV and empty my brain, right? You know, I'll watch like the Three Stooges. And, you know, you don't have to think much when you're watching the Three Stooges, right? Is that not true? I mean, there's not a lot of thinking. You know that Moe's going to hit Larry in the head and, and Curly's going to, you know, do whatever Curly does. And so there's not a lot of thinking when you're watching those kind of shows. And I think that's the problem. There's not a lot of thinking. And so we do these frivolous things thinking, well, in the relaxation of the frivolous things, then then I'll relax myself, but we empty our brain and the natural thing that fills our brain is worry and doubt and hurt and pain. What if instead of that, in those times, you said, well, I'm going to challenge my brain and I'm going to choose to fill my brain with the Word of God. And I'm going to read scripture. And you say, well, pastor, what scriptures do I read? Read the ones that have touched you in the past. You know, you don't have to go on some, some Easter egg hunt and find some nugget of truth that applies to your particular circumstance. You're just trying to find God's presence. So I would turn to Psalm 23. I'd read Revelation 21. I'd read John 3. I'd read whatever scripture God has spoken to me in the past. And I'll tell you, sometimes I just read scripture and read scripture until God speaks to me again. You know, the Bible says, and, and, and this is a good time to say amen if you believe it. This is the one amen in the sermon, okay? The word of God does not return void. That's true, isn't it? I mean, if we're in the word, there's a value to that, and the word speaks on its own accord. The spirit can use the word to speak in your life in ways that are beyond our understanding. The last thing is this, intentionally find a reason to be thankful. When we gather on Sunday mornings, do you realize that worship is, is thanksgiving, is celebration? And you realize that when we come into the service and begin to sing, it's training for life? See, see I think sometimes that we get the feeling that 
that worship is when I feel the Spirit moving in a certain way, then I'll lift my hand or I'll sing or, 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 or I'll express some sort of praise. And, and see, that, that's, I don't think that's the case. See, I, I don't think lifting our hands we only do when we feel like it. I don't think we express thanks only when we feel like it. But see, worship is training. When we come in here and we begin to sing, it, we're, we're supposed to be thinking in our mind, okay, I've gathered in this place. Why am I here? I'm here because there's a God that loves me enough that he sent his son to die in my place, okay? Man, I'm not feeling really emotional now, but... You know, I'll lift my hands because physically I'm going to acknowledge that God has done that on my behalf. See, I, I think in churches, many times worship is dead and dry because you're waiting for something to happen. And God's waiting for you to recognize what you, he's already done in your life. Amen. You realize if God didn't do anything, my mother several years ago, she was... Um, she was getting ready to have heart surgery, and, and uh, my little brother prayed, God, you know, heal her again so that we can give you praise for what you're doing in her, in her life or something to that effect. And it just kind of struck me, you know, if, if, and I didn't want God to take my mother in, don't mishear me, but if God didn't do another thing in her life, he was worthy of praise. I'm here to tell you that if we never experience God, if God never blessed us in any other way, we serve a God that when we walk in those back doors, He is worthy of our praise. See, Thanksgiving, I've, and I've had kind of a shift in thinking. Sometimes I think of Thanksgiving as this, this attitude. I'm the thankful attitude. Thanksgiving is, is not an attitude. Thanksgiving is an action that shapes your attitude. Being thankful shapes how you feel. Don't let your feelings shape how you act. Let your actions shape how you feel. And so when we in the midst of trials, in the midst of trouble, when we sit down and we make a list and we begin to think, oh, that's right, there was this event and God moved. And there's this person in my life that loves me. And there's this opportunity to serve. And you just begin to make a list. What's the song say? Count your blessings. <laughs> Count them one by one. See, God is worthy of celebration God is worthy of praise, and we are people who should be in the act of thanksgiving. Stand with me, if you will. You know, pain can move us towards greater trust because it alerts us to, to issues in our life. It makes us aware that uh, it makes us more aware of our need for Jesus. And so maybe you're going through something. I, I know we've, we've had a, a great altar time already. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. But, you know, maybe God's spoken and, and you just want to seek him today. I'm going to ask is Amy here, can you come and just play quietly? We're just going to wait for a second. No, no long draw. And, you know, I recognize God's moved already in this service. But, but, but maybe you're just sensing that you need to come and pray and express thanks or do something. We're just going to wait for a second, then I'm going to close this in prayer.
Our Heavenly Father, right now we, um, we give you praise for pain. That's hard to say. But pain sometimes, all the time, alerts us of our need for you. Lord, next week we'll be talking about Job and and just thinking about the pain of Job and the pain of Jesus and what he went through and the life of Jesus. God didn't choose to eliminate pain. Instead, God chose to experience pain. I don't understand. But there's a kinship and suffering with Jesus. He took this world with all of its sorrows and he carried it on our behalf. So Lord, we, we're in this place and life's not always easy. As a matter of fact, most of the time it's not easy. Sometimes we, we see why pain is there and it's worthwhile and, and Lord, we understand and sometimes we just flat don't. But the essence of trust is not knowing. The essence of trust is loving. So Lord, in those times when we don't know, help us to lean on your love. As the song says, when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. And Lord, we'll, we'll remember what you've done and how you've moved. And, and Lord, when we can't see your hand, we'll trust your heart knowing that you care, that you love us, and Lord, that um, there's not a, a part of our life that you're not uh, aware of and caring for. Help us, Lord, as we go from this place, not to be um, people who practice Thanksgiving part of the time, but Lord, may we, may we be thankful people, aware of your move. Every good gift in our life is a gift from the Father above the air that we breathe, the church that we have, the homes that we have, the jobs that we have, the people that love us, every good gift comes from your hand. So Lord, we're going to praise you and we're going to thank you. And Lord, as we um, go through this next week, we'll, um, we'll seek to see you in whatever's going on. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.